You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Watt Watchers, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use, and SolarAy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to this episode of Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is David Leach, ITK analyst and Renew Economy contributor. How are you, David? I'm very well, thanks, Giles. Trust all our listeners are well and I'd like to have a special welcome for our slightly uh, less energy-centric guest today. Well, very much as an energy-centric guest, I would have thought. Look, our guest is uh, Premier Jay Weatherall uh, from South Australia. Um, Premier, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Great to be here. Look, um, it's been a, um, a pretty exciting week of announcements. Um, a, a week of exciting news, I have to say, keep on pouring out of South Australia. might have something to do with the election coming up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've had funding for the new battery storage projects, for microgrids, for hydrogen facilities, for potential pumped hydro projects. Now, today, you've capped that with a target of 75% renewable energy by 2025, accompanied by Australia's first uh, storage target, 700 megawatts, and you describe it as a 25% renewable renewable storage target. Um, Those are mighty impressive and things that I think that we support, but um, let's get to the politics of this first. Um, The polls tell us that um, this election looks like a three-way tie between Labor, the Liberals and Nick Xenophon's new SA Best party. Mm. If the polling is to believed, are you trying to turn this election into a um, a referendum on renewables? Well, it inevitably will be a referendum on renewable energy. I don't think, I think it's it's inevitable because what will happen is that should we not be successful, the the opponents of renewable energy will, will say that South Australia's leadership in renewable energy was the cause of their demise and so it will be used against other governments that want to push deeply into renewable energy. So we've been facing a a massive campaign of uh, misinformation that's been waged by the coal lobby against the South Australian government. We know that they're they're fully cashed up and and they've got a very effective message mechanism where anything that goes wrong in the South Australian energy market is blamed on renewables. Anything that goes wrong in Coleridge, New South Wales or Victoria is somehow gets a different explanation. So, you know, this has been a this has been a pitch battle for the last 12 months, really a bit over, actually, since our blackout, uh, where they were seizing, they basically seized on that to, to blame renewable energy. And yet the independent studies demonstrated that it had nothing to do with renewable energy and everything to do with the storm. Mm. I mean, you said, and I think it was with um, when I interviewed you at the uh, Paris Climate su- Summit um, mm. way back in 2015, you described South Australia's renewable push as a bit of an experiment. Now, that comment mm. has been used against you, and particularly when those outages happened. Does it yeah. still feel like an experiment to you? Well, it's been a successful one. I mean, what we've demonstrated is that uh, despite the fact that we've got 48.9% renewable energy, we haven't had any reliability issues that have caused outages because of the the size of our investment in renewable energy. So the blackout uh, in September wasn't uh, caused by uh, intermittent renewable energy and, and the um, the blackouts that we had in in January were, were caused by basically failures in the, the national electricity market. We had perfectly good um, supplies, reserve supplies that weren't switched on because of the way in which the market works. So basically we've, we've got a 
the, the so-called reliability issues, which uh, there's no doubt have to be managed, uh, they are risks. There's no doubt about them, and, and we've been managing them with uh, the world's largest battery and with a whole range of other backup generation that we've put in place. But they've never caused anything yet. I mean, they've, uh, there's, there's no doubt that there are risks that need to be managed, but they've never been the subject of any, any uh, um, event. I mean, what, what's happened is the events that have occurred have actually been events associated with a broken national electricity market. Yes. Uh, and, um, and in fact, you know, some of the, some of the unreliability of the, of the national electricity market has really been down to sort of uh, coal-fired generators uh, falling out of service unexpectedly. So you've, that's where most of the risks have actually been most recently with the national electricity market. Well, it's an interesting point you make. Um, now, to get to the 75% target, I mean, um, mm. like with the 50% target, you didn't actually have any state-based target. You kind of said that's what we, where we want to get to, and you kind of got there on the back of the renewable energy target, which was a national policy. Mm. How do you propose then to get to the 75% renewable and the 25% storage target? Do you need a mechanism like the one that you prefer, which is an emissions intensity scheme? Will you mm. be relying on something like the NEG, or do mm. you expect because I guess there's a lot of stuff in the pipeline that it's probably going to happen anyway. Well, there's a range of things. I mean, it's about leadership. It's about creating an investing environment which is friendly towards renewables. So there's more than one way to skin a cat here. I mean, if you've got a hostile investing climate, you're not going to get investment in renewables. So that's everything down to the planning environment, the regulatory environment, using state government procurement, uh, using just... um, funding mechanisms like uh, loans and grants as we do through our renewable technology funds. So they're the mechanisms uh, together with obviously the the national renewable energy target which have got us to this point. But remember the national um, energy target, the renewable energy target, was up for grabs. I mean Tony Abbott tried to to strip it back. It was only the leadership of of South Australia and also federal labour together with um, coalitions we were able to form together in the national parliament, which actually preserved and saved uh, the the national renewable energy target in its present form. So while this is a national target, it's one that South Australia has, has advocated for. Um, and, you know, what the, the, the counterfactual is this. If we're not in government, we'll have basically a, uh, a Liberal Party that is d- determined to abolish state-based renewable energy targets, turning their face against renewable energy, giving comfort to a federal liberal coalition dominated by coal interests that will do everything they can to scuttle renewable energy targets. So they're proposing a national energy guarantee, which is all about guaranteeing a future for coal. Uh, it will cause um, essentially the, the sterilisation of new investment in renewable energy. And so that's why it's absolutely critical that we have a government in South Australia that maintains its its um, commitment to renewable energy. We also have the other option is Nick Xenophon, who's been out there problematising wind energy. He was behind the Wind Commissioner, which was designed to scupper renew, uh, wind energy projects. He's been behind the Warburton Foundation, an organisation which is out there as an anti-wind farm lobby group. And, of course, he's out there speculating that um, wind farms cause you know people to become refugees from infrasound and a whole bunch of other things that affect your brain so you know we're in a hostile uh, political environment towards renewable energy a national hostile government and two state conservative parties 
Nick Xenophon, former Liberal and current um, Liberal leader who has set their face against renewable energy. David? Uh, Jay, thanks. And I'd like to add my support to the 75% renewable energy target. I think in decarbonisation globally is absolutely coming and South Australia's uh, efforts in this area are, sort of, are the, undoubtedly the right ones. That, that said, it is true, and I understand the historic reasons that South Australian electricity prices are truer than those, in, higher than those in other states. And when I look at the futures mm. market, they still remain stubbornly higher, despite all the investment in renewable energy and despite the proposed investments in variable, various firming projects. Mm. How, do, what, what can actually you do to make South Australia uh, using renewables competitive with every other state on electricity? Well, the first thing is that South Australian energy prices have always been higher than other states in the national energy market for a whole range of uh, natural reasons, many of them to do with uh, a very long, skinny network that has to supply power out to, to very uh, far-flung regions of the state uh, with a very low customer base. So those costs have to be smeared over a small number of customers. And also we traditionally have had the relatively higher cost generation associated with um, uh, with coal-fired power stations and gas, which weren't as cheap as the, the old uh, coal-fired power station. But, but in a carbon-constrained future, the, 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 the more recent and most potent effect on our energy prices has really been the concentration of market power on the South Australian side of the border. It's been exacerbated by the way in which the privatisation occurred back in 1999 which also chopped off an interconnector which was proposed with New South Wales. And um, because you've had this period of uh, a stalemate in terms of national energy policy where everybody knows that a price on carbon is coming but nobody can get themselves organised to have a sustainable policy on it at a national level, you've seen underinvestment in new generations, so you've seen a bunch of coal-fired power stations fall out of the system, about 10 across the nation. and and critically one in, in South Australia, the Alinta uh, energy plant up at Port Augusta. So a really an already concentrated energy market became more concentrated and obviously prices uh, went up as a, as a result. So what are we doing about it? We're bringing on new supply, bringing on new supply of renewables, but importantly now backed up by storage, which means they can write firm contracts. The more firm contracts they write, uh, the more competition you have, the more competition you have, the lower prices. So the energy, we're already seeing, you've, you've seen the Australian Energy Market Commission say that over the next two years, prices will come down by about $300 because of new renewable energy projects. And what you'll also see is those prices continue to fall as we bring on new renewable energies, energy backed up by storage. A spectacular example is the solar thermal plant that will come on in 2020. Uh, that's that. The only reason that that plant will be built is because we put South Australian energy out to the market, about 100 megawatts of energy out to the market. Uh, we procured a 150 megawatt solar thermal plant. Uh, the great thing about the the South Australian government load is that most of it's in the middle of the day. Uh, we'll have plenty of power to take into the market uh, at the summer peaks at the end of the day, which will make a massive difference to prices for everyone, not just for the, for, for, uh, the state government. So 
We've got lots of, you know, the other thing that's made a massive contribution when we'll put uh, big downward pressure on prices is the new battery. Uh, the new battery is, is already smashing the FCAS market um, and we'll get fantastic benefits by not having to pay top dollar, uh, by being ripped off uh, with uh, a whole bunch of uh, existing generators providing us with those FCAS services, which are now being provided by the state government uh, through its big battery up at Jamestown, the, the Tesla battery. Uh, yeah, so I, I certainly agree with the comment about uh, market power. I certainly think more competition in the generation market uh, would help to bring prices down. But for so long as gas is the marginal price setter, uh, it's going to be difficult to, to, get, to get prices to the level of the eastern states. But that's my opinion. Uh, mm. I wondered about about your about inter inter transmission links. Um, sure. It seems to me as the wind share of wind and solar expands in South Australia, and we know yeah. South Australia's got a great place to build wind. Yeah. It, if you could export and import power more easily, it, that too would help to equalise power prices for and, and help the wind guys get a better return. In the short term, no, and the reason why is that you'll just basically. Uh, prevent another competitor coming in on the other uh, on the South Australian side of the market. I mean, our problem is too much concentration of market power on our side of the market, and so um, we think interconnectors are a good medium term proposition. Very expensive, but but good medium term for exactly the reason you mentioned to export our renewable energy to to other states, and and that would make a an important contribution. But our problem at the moment is market power on our side of the border, and so what we need is more generation built here. If we have, if I mean, of course, interconnection is a long way off. So it's you know it's two or three years, probably to build out anyway. We've got some challenges right now, so we need that generation capacity right here, right now. So that's where we put our focus. But I do agree with you. It's it's sort of a medium to longer term proposition that would be beneficial for the whole of the the market. You know, those states that have a an abundance of renewable energy resources. Uh, should should be exporting those, and you can also arbitrage the different uh, times of day of sunlight, uh, and and send uh, you know renewable energy across uh, across the nation. So I think you know I think that's a, a good. It's in our plan. We we did mention an interconnector with New South Wales, and this was the one that should have been built, uh, but the Libs uh, knocked it off because they wanted to drive up the price of the electricity assets before they flogged them back in 1999. Uh, undoubtedly, and I noticed that you're also supporting a variety of pumped hydro projects. Yeah. So, and 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 I again, I hope certainly hope that one or two of these do get built. Uh, and and then you mentioned the solar res reserve project. Yeah. I, I just observe that uh, I am cautious about the solar reserve project, not because I don't love solar thermal, but just because mm. their their project in the United States uh, has a has is not performing up to expectations and I'm I'm mm. sure I'm sure South Australia has taken every precaution to yeah. protect its interest there. Yeah, look, I mean like any new technologies, I mean it, it's good to be second, not first. <laughs> so uh, we're, you know, we're, this will be the largest, but you know obviously they've learned something on their first one uh, down there in the US and we're very keen to make sure that the lessons learned there are applied here. In fact, that's what I'm doing next. I'm going straight to the Solar Reserve uh, Adelaide headquarters opening, um, which uh, is happening in just uh, uh, about a half an hour's time. So we're, it, it's a very exciting project. I mean, in a way, it's a fantastic example of an old coal-fired power station now making way for uh, this renewable energy future. And 
in a way, it uses similar technology. It's it's really um, sunlight sort of, you know, creating steam, driving turbines, not so dissimilar to, to what, you know, burning coal to drive those same turbines. So a lot of people there that used to be able to work in that type of uh, business might also be able to get jobs at uh, the new solar thermal plant. So it's very important for that regional economy of Port Augusta. Now, you're turning up to the opening um, this evening, Jay. Um, yeah. I, th- I understand that Nick Xenophon's going to be there. Now, you may yeah. well have to deal with him um, post the election results. Um, yeah. You, he may have to, you may count on his numbers. Is there, Are you going to cede your energy policy in any way towards, um, to, towards Nick Xenophon? No, I mean, this is a, a very important feature of uh, the South Australian government's leadership. I mean, w- we think that this is the future. Um, I think I can persuade, uh, certainly... Um, Nick, I hope that uh, this is the an appropriate uh, future for South Australia, but the, they're all matters that you know we'll we'll grapple with. I mean, I hope to get there on my lonesome without having to worry about forming coalitions. But but if we do, I won't be compromising on this because it's a critical issue for the future of our state. And I'm pretty confident that the, he'll listen to the same uh, advisors that have been advising us and and we'll have we, we don't have any challenge to, to this leadership in renewable energy i think the thing is that the community are really demanding it i mean people are proud of our leadership in renewable energy um, even people that aren't necessarily completely convinced about taking action on climate change believe that the technologies of the future like renewable technologies are the future and that technologies like coal are the past and even if you take a pragmatic view about it Nobody's going to build a new coal-fired power station, and we desperately need new generation. And so this is the future. Yeah, yeah. well, it's certainly been helpful that um, people like Elon Musk um, have, have come into the market and built a big yeah. battery in 100 days, and now they're building this virtual power plant. Yeah. Um, Sanjeev Gupta as well, I just think that's quite important, um, yeah. bringing the way that still works and things like that. Um, how much has their involvement changed the game for you? I mean, imagine... Um... Oh, pretty big. I mean, it's always important when you get big third parties to endorse your position. And I think people are beginning to understand that this is an international imperative. It's not just South Australia um, dreaming this up. This is a big international movement. And South Australia is leading. There's no doubt about that. But um, there are big advantages in being a first mover in circumstances where you anticipate the future clearly you assertively pursue it, uh, and then you gain the benefits of people coming here. Like renewable energy company Carnegie, a, a West Australian-based company, are now building um, a, a massive microgrid on the roof of the Holden plant. So Holden just closed a few months ago. Now they're building out the roof um, with solar panels plus batteries to deliver cheaper power. Now that's a you know another fantastic message of renewal and hope for the people of the northern suburbs who you know, were staring at the loss of a big industry, the loss of the car industry. And now a lot of them are going to be able to get work in a factory, which is being powered by renewable energy. A number of them assembling uh, these facilities. And then, of course, there's the, the virtual power station. We're going to bias the solar panels towards local assemblers. And we, we have the only local assembler of... Uh, solar panels in the nation based in South Australia. It's called Tindo Solar. And, um, you know, there are fantastic jobs and opportunities available there as well. Okay. Just, um, David, you have one more question? We understand that, um, that Jay, the, the Premier, has to leave early. Have you got one a very quick one? No, I'd just like to say I congratulate you on all of the policy um, 
uh, initiatives that you've undertaken, particularly the ones about the virtual battery, because that's that's clearly going to be the next piece of the jigsaw. I'm going Cheers. to slip in one very quick one, Jay. Um, yes, man. You were very unhappy with the um, energy market operator um, this time last year. Are you yeah. happy with? Are you happier now with the way they're running them? The, yeah, the absolutely. I mean, uh, Audrey is, I think, a breath of fresh air. I mean, there's no doubt that the energy market operator dropped the ball um, really during the, the the blackout. I mean, they, they, it probably was impossible to stop the statewide blackout because of the the destruction of the network but they could have taken some risk management to issue uh, steps that may have given us a chance and of course it was a dramatic uh, dropping the ball around the 8th of february where basically they just didn't switch on a perfectly good um, gas fire generator that could have supplied the market and uh, blacked out 90,000 homes when uh, Shouldn't happen at all. So, but, but well, things have moved on since then. A whole series of events. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, look, yeah. Um, I understand you have to run. So, look, thank you very much for your time. Cheers. And um, good luck with the election. And um, thank you. If you're back again, we'd love to talk to you further about your plans. Lovely. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. And that was South Australia Premier Jay Weatherall, who goes to the polls on the weekend of March 16 and 17. And David, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there because um, renewables might be very popular in the polling, but um, not so much as government. Well, I actually looked, and uh, if you look at the betting odds, um, uh, six weeks ago they were second in the polls, uh, Labor, and they've now actually moved in the betting on, sp on one of the major betting agencies into, into uh, favourite position. Uh, and, and in the end, I thought myself, speaking as an energy analyst, uh, he was across the brief and I liked what he had to say. Well, that's pretty impressive too. And I guess um, for the renewable energy industry and the storage industry and the whole transition, I guess this poll is going to be as, as crucial as the uh, recent Queensland one was. So um, fingers crossed. Um, interestingly enough, um, the Liberals, as Jay said, um, uh, don't really support a state-based renewable energy target. They do support an interconnector. Um, which is a bit ironic because they actually stopped it when they privatised it uh, all those years ago, as he mentioned. And they do have their own battery storage plan, that, their own sort of, well, it's not a virtual um, battery, it's in 40,000 homes, but not connected as the Tesla virtual power plant is. I did have to laugh when he said that uh, he and Nick Xenophon probably speaking to the same people because we all know who that person is, don't we? <laughs> He's looking at you. Um, indeed, indeed, indeed. Yes. Um, there's, um, there's, there's not enough energy consultancies in this country, David. And, uh, <laughs> so maybe, maybe he also can become just as prominent. And look, his fundamental point was, and I, we might as well go for a high target in South Australia because that's where the economics and that's what the necessity is for South Australia. Uh, it just, there's no alternative. So you might as well you know, get on board with what's going to happen rather than try and hold back at, at the inevitable time. Well, if you actually think about it, um, it's already at 50% renewables now. It's got the Bangala 220 megawatt project being built, the Lincoln Cap 212 megawatt solar farm being built, the Snowtown solar farm, um, the Tail and Bend solar farm, which is 117 meg megawatts, all of Sanjeev Gupta's plans for one gigawatt of solar and storage to power the Wayala Steelworks and everything else that he can find. So, I mean, really by doing nothing, they're probably going to be over 60, 65%, I think, as um, you might have um, estimated in, a, in an analysis a while ago. Yes, I think, uh, I think they'll get there, but I suspect some of it will end up being exported. Uh, and I do also worry, as you know, we've looked at the solar reserve plant in, in Crescent Dunes, and I don't want to be sound too negative, but I mean, it, it hasn't had a very good operating history. And uh, I guess that makes me nervous. But anyway, that's not my problem. Yeah, no, we'll see what happens. Yeah. No. 
Let's get on to the um, some other things. The microgrids um, um, announced. That's really interesting. Carnegie has been very busy in this. A microgrid in Cowberry and a microgrid, as um, Jay Weatherall mentioned, at the um, former Holden um, plant. Um, there's another microgrid going in at um, the produce market there, about five megawatts and something megawatt hours. There's a microgrid going in in Port Lincoln, this time with hydrogen. And there's another one announced today at the Tonsley facility in Adelaide. Microgrids everywhere, David. Yes, and that's another theme we don't talk enough about at Renew Economy, along with uh, electric vehicles. Uh, in the United States, microgrids are, are also making breakthroughs. I think there's a lot of technical issues still to sort out and uh, showing to consumers that they are uh, produce economic benefits. So I guess it's going to be a case-by-case case, uh, kind of thing, but, but certainly it's going to make for more resilient networks, and I expect the amount of energy and the power going through microgrids to increase over time. Yeah. Look, the other thing that we should just cover off before we go is the National Energy Guarantee. A discussion paper was released by the Energy Security Board um, last week. Um, they've had a couple of months to work on that. It seems that the only thing that they actually found was this bloody complicated and they don't know all the answers. Well, you know, to me, it's interesting if you look at the reliability part of it, which, as you know, may not come into play for some years. Nevertheless, it's going to take it out of the hands of the market. And essentially, it's going to be AEMO's job to forecast uh, whether there is a reliability issue. And so, you know, you can debate whether that's the right way to actually decide these things. Uh, and, and if I you're guess going somebody's to... got to make the call. Well, it, normally, I mean, the way it would work at the moment is that the pool prices would go up uh, for certain times and, and that would send a price signal through to the futures market and then the futures market a signal you needed new investment. But uh, clearly you're going to be moving away from the market. And then if we look at the uh, emissions, I guess part of it, uh, the, the complaint everyone has is it's just unrealistic because it just assumes that we're going to uh, sit at the current uh, pa uh, commitment that Australia's made, which clearly is not going to be enough. And it's totally inconsistent with something like Snowy 2. I mean, Snowy 2 are only going to make sense in a world of high emissions, if it makes sense at all, in a world of high renewables. I'm glad you uh, said that. <laughs> uh, building Snowy 2 now just means we'll use more coal-fired electricity to do all the pumping. Uh, so, I mean, you've, you've got to choose. I mean, and So this comes back to my bigger fundamental plan problem that the NEG and Snowy 2 are all being introduced without the right framework and, and plan that we need to take Australia through for 20 or 30 years. We, if we'd done more central planning just at the moment and had a better guideline, had these renewable energy zones, had more realistic targets, I'm pretty sure everyone would be getting on board. So what you're saying is that we could actually have the NEG and we could have Snowy Hydro too if we had Jay Weatherall as Prime Minister. <laughs> well, it's not just Jay Weatherall, it's the ACT government. Um, uh, even in Queensland, they've, they've got a plan. And, and look, I don't want to be, despite what everyone says about Josh Frydenberg, and I know most people on this podcast are going to slam him left, right and centre, but I actually think that underneath it all, he's more on board than you might think he is. Uh, he just has to present two faces, one, one to his party and one the underlying things that he actually gets on with. Well, that's exactly right. And in fact, that was the point that Chris Bowen was making during the Q&A program um, on ABC on Monday night. And um, it was interesting that, well, Josh had no choice but to deny that that was the case. But I think um, I think you're probably right. And I think you're probably quite right about his pre... Um, quite right if you said that about his predecessor as well. And I guess that's just one of the tragedies um, of the political impasse that we have now. Um, you know, speaking about politics, I mean, I, 
the, the good news is that a Barnaby Joyce reduces the Nationals' influence uh, generally in New South Wales, where we've got people like the Nationals' party in New South Wales is is so backward-looking, it just makes you weep in a lot of ways. And we need to get the more forward-looking forces if we're going to get decarbonisation done. And, and it's so... You know, I guess it's always a, a, a twisty path, but I'm, I'm hopeful. That, I mean, in the end, what we are seeing, Giles, we are seeing a lot of progress in the last 12 months. We've got a lot more renewable energy than we would have believed this time uh, 12 months ago. Uh, we've got some progress on industrial batteries all over the place, but household batteries, that's a new, another new battleground. We're not seeing the price reductions that we need there. We're seeing microgrids develop. We've seen a lot of progress on electric vehicles globally, but none in Australia. So I think, uh, you know, the, the, we can still leave the rose-coloured sunglasses on. <laughs> just on the just on the batteries, it was interesting, actually, Bruce Mountain from um, CME did a wonderful analysis for us this week um, talking about the batteries. He actually pointed out that the price of the Tesla Powerwall 2 has actually gone up $1,000 in the last 12 months. Nevertheless, with the falling cost of solar and the rising cost of grid power, he says that solar and battery storage together is much significantly cheaper than the grid in, in, in many areas. And um, that's pretty interesting. And there's something for the utilities to think about. Um, and I do recommend you read that article because a lot of people have, if you haven't seen it already. Look, just before we wrap up, David, I would like to say thank you to our sponsors, Solaray Energy and What Watchers. Um, there is something happening next week. That's the um, ESB, Claire Savage and... Um, Oh my God, my mind's just gone blank. Uh, the ESB chairman, Kerry Schott, are having a stakeholders meeting and webinar on Monday. That'll be interesting to see what the feedback is. I hope to attend that. Excellent, excellent. Then we'll have another discussion about that next week. Thank you, David, once again. Cheers, Giles, and I hope all our listeners have a great week. Indeed, and once again, we'd love your feedback. If you'd like to leave a review on whichever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, we would love it. And please tell your friends and acquaintances and business partners about partners about it and we'll talk again next week bye-bye energy insiders was brought to you by watt watchers makers of ultra smart devices to manage electricity use and costs accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time visit whatwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use Energy Insiders is also sponsored by SolarRay Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today.